RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into a new episode of the MMA Report Podcast. I am Jason Floyd, and among you, I will be joined by my co-host, Daniel Galvalos. We're going to talk about everything going on in the world of mixed martial arts from what happened last weekend, Bellator 281, a second straight Bellator event with the uneventful main event. Also, we'll talk about what happened last weekend. UFC Vegas 54 will get you ready for this weekend's UFC Vegas number 54. Five, of course, talk about some MMA news and notes going on. Of course, uh, always appreciate everyone who takes time out of their day to download and listen to this episode of the podcast. Of course, uh, if you're listening to us on one of the podcasting platforms, if you hit that rating and review, man, really does help us out a lot as well. If you can share this podcast with your friends, would appreciate that as well. Of course, if you watch this on YouTube, hit that uh, thumbs up button, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell so you know. When a new video is here live on the channel, of course, as always, I am joined by my colleague, Daniel Galvan. Daniel, as always, man, great to uh, be sitting here on a Wednesday talking a little mixed martial arts action with you. How you doing, bro? Man, I'm doing great, Jason. You know, we kind of have a little bit of lull on the MMA schedule. Taking a look ahead at this upcoming UFC fight night, it's not looking too appetizing. But, man, the week we just had at least had some interesting things going on. In the world of mixed martial arts, we had, uh, you know, all kinds of crazy sports also going on. But, yeah, I feel like in this episode, we're going to more so talk about what happened in the previous week than preview what's going on. Because, man, I look at this UFC fight night, Jason, I'm like, I'm going to have to make some other plans because I can't justify watching this card live to my girlfriend. All right. I'm going to end up being single by Sunday if I watch this one live on Saturday. I mean, look, it's a legit question of what main event this weekend interests you more. The UFC main event of Holly Holm versus Caitlin Vieira or the Eagle FC event of JDS and Yogan DeCastro. And like, I feel like if you put a poll on Twitter, you might get more responses to JDS and Jorgen than Holm and, and Caitlin Vieira. Well, it doesn't even stop there. Full stop. What's the more interesting card? Eagle FC 47 or UFC fight night. It's it, it's a legitimate question because the the Eagle FC card is littered with former UFC fighters, Bellator fighters, names we know, and there really isn't a significant difference between the two cards. I mean, look, I think the people's main event on Saturday, maybe Santiago Ponzinibbio and Michelle Pajaya. We uh, Michelle yes. Pajaya, we we know. I mean, you know, he's got to do some crazy stuff. He probably do a backflips, capoeira stuff. Like Chidi Njikwani and Desko Todorovic, that's another one that does interest me as well. I mean, it's like, and we'll talk about this more well, later later on yeah, the show. I mean, though. Yeah, yeah, we will, we will. But I will say, uh, one thing I'll say is Desko might make that one boring, but Chidi's always exciting. Desko <laughs> likes to clinch, but but you're right. Perea Ponzinibbio is a banger fight. All I got to say is Lombard Tiago Silva. What the hell is that going to be? What yeah. the hell is going to happen? Like these guys, dude. Did you see? Was it Houston Alexander is fighting? He's still 50 years old? Yeah, yeah, bare knuckle, yeah. God, that's depressing that Houston Alexander is, A, still fighting, is, B, half a century years old. I know, it, it's crazy. I mean, the fact that he's he's still doing that thing. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And, I mean, of course, a lot of fighters are going with that bare knuckle. I mean, you know, the, the Lombard-Tiago Silva matchup, that's one of those matchups you could have said, I mean, I could, you, if you told me it was 2010, I believe you. But it's actually 2022, or 2007. <laughs> yeah, that one. That one's a little depressing. That fight. I don't know if that one should be happening, but you know, I'll watch it and I guess I'll judge after if I think it should or should not have actually taken place. But you know, yeah, I got, got plenty to talk about, man. I mean, we could literally start anywhere. Like we got dudes tearing their ACL in main events. We got uh, you know boring main events in Bellator. You know, we got all kinds of stuff. I want to start at Bellator okay. and. Talking about the main event, which, look, the main event sucked. It's now back-to-back weeks where the Bellator main event has not delivered. And, you know, it's one of the, probably the more, one of the more interesting things to me going on in MMA is, you know, Scott Coker, for the most part, is usually a 
a very reserved guy. He's a guy that he'll, you know, in, in a post-fight press conference, he might say, hey, call you know, call me in a week, 10 days. I'll have an answer for you. I mean, that, that's just who Scott Coker is. But we have seen Scott voice his opinion on various things over the past couple weeks. You see him with the PFL. After the main event, this was his quote from the post-fight media scrum where he says, quote, honestly, I thought that MVP won that fight. And the reason why I say that to me, it's like I was talking to my guys back home and they go, look, it's close, but we think MVP won. And I said, well, why do you say that? And they said, because half the round he was striking the other half. You just can't lay on somebody. You're not doing any damage. You're not getting closer on a submission. You're not creating any threat. You're just lying on somebody to me. That's not MMA. Control is one thing, but you can't control somebody and just think that you're going to win the fight. To me, it's like there are certain things that have to happen, and wrestling alone is not going to be enough. And it's one of those things, Daniel, where I, I think part of this is it's a promoter who is frustrated, a promoter who is frustrated with how this fight played out. And, you know, I mean, look, and I'll say this, watching the fight, I thought Michael Page's takedown defense was a little better than I expected. Did Logan Storley do anything on the ground? Absolutely not. He laid on him. He wrestled f Michael Page, and it seemed like Michael Page's thought process was, could he stall this matchup on the ground? Of course, um, you know, I think this is also another perfect example of when we talk about having transparency when it comes to MMA judges, I think this is another matchup that we can look at here in 2022 and say, man, it would be awesome if a judge would come out publicly and talk about it. I put out a tweet, Daniel, about this where I said, you know, basically alluding that point, one of the people that liked the tweet was Brian Miner. Why do I mention Brian Miner's name, Daniel? Brian Miner was one of three judges who scored this fight. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! He's on Twitter, liking you, like like passive aggressively liking your tweets. I dig it. I dig it, man. That he uh, he 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 he's on there, and it kind of tells me that maybe the judges are welcome have an interest in voicing their opinions or maybe not, but maybe subtly, but look, this was not the place for Scott Coker to talk about a bad decision. Jason, this was not a bad decision, right? Look at the criteria. When you watch that fight, you can't tell me that in three of those rounds, Michael page easily had the effective striking or grappling advantage or the effective aggressive disadvantage. There were three rounds where not that Logan Storley did anything. Michael Page certainly did more, but like it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't like clear, like he wins this round because of that. When you look at how often Storley was controlling the area control of this fight. And there were th at least three rounds like that where the dominance and area control outweighed the lack of, of effective striking advantage. There were in round four, clearly Michael Page, right? There were those, there was a round, and the whole time you're watching the fight, you felt like Michael Page is the better fighter, right? But I just felt like in three of those five rounds, he did not do enough effective striking or effective aggressiveness to clearly win those three rounds. And because Logan Sorley controlled the fight, you got to give it 10-9 Storley for three of those rounds. And I regret not, like, writing down my notes as it was happening. But, Jason, when the judges read that it was a split decision, I thought that was insane. I'm like, how do you give Michael Page three of these rounds? Because to me, in, the, in, the, in these fights, in this fight, he wasn't able to pull the trigger on that many effective strikes in those rounds because he was concerned about the takedown of Storley. I mean, look, I, I get where you're coming from. Now, there, there is the damage aspect of it, which, I mean, when we look at the judges' scorecard, all three judges only scored the two rounds the same. That was the second round, the fourth round. Fourth round was the clear Michael Page round, no question about it. You know, there were points where I'm watching the fight where I just felt like Michael Page was... He was trying to stall to get his fight to the ground, to get the fight back to the feet, and, you know, I had someone on Twitter say to me, go... 
you know, the ref just stood him up. And, and my thought on that is it is not the referee, and in this case, Jacob Montalvo's job to get Michael Page off his back. He has to get off his back. I mean, look, Logan Storley put in a game plan that was going to get him the win. You just wish he would have been more active on the feet. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the biggest losers are the the us the fans who sat there and watched the fight it just it just sucked i mean the fight was and, and logan story has to understand why fans are so unhappy with how he fought that matchup yeah can you imagine like um and i, I know he understands because he, he 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 you could tell in the post fight interview he understood that this wasn't a barn burner and, and by the way um this main event did suck but the rest of the main card is very entertaining for bellator I would say it was a very successful uh, main card aside from the main event. We'll, we'll dig into that. Just wanted to mention that. Um, I felt like – imagine like it's kind of funny because like he achieved the career highlight, right? Is he the actual Bellator champion? No. I mean they made this championship to put a, a belt around Michael Page's waist. But it is an interim championship, so he, he achieved this incredible high, Jason – but can you imagine, like, you achieved this high your whole career, you've been in this game for years, you get the championship, and everyone just is annoyed at you because your fight sucked? You can't even celebrate this amazing achievement, Jason. You have that sour taste in your mouth. At least for Carla Esparza, she could at least take a picture at her wedding when she climbed the mountain. But we've seen these fighters achieve these great successes, but they aren't really able to celebrate the way you normally would because it's like, well... That fight was the, was the, was the crappers. Like that was a crappy fight. You shouldn't be proud of it, etc. But look, what the hell do you expect Logan Storley to do? Right? You think he's gonna stand and trade with Michael Page? Hell no. My, he he talked about it. Michael Page was unlike anyone he'd ever trained with. He his stand up was was unreal. A phenomenal athlete. Logan Storley really didn't have another option. The only other option was to be more active with his ground strikes, but. He didn't want to lose the position. Michael Page was looking to stall. So Logan Storley, I mean, this is his bread and butter. This is what he's really good at. I can't blame him. What This obviously was, was a boring fight. People were changing the channel, I would assume. But for Logan Storley, this was just a bad matchup. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Logan Storley isn't going to be someone who, as well as well toy champion, is going – You look, when Bellator, 15 years from now, if they're still around, if they release like, like – um, compilations of the best fights in the company's history they could release 100 episodes and you're not going to find a single logan storley fight right like, like logan storley will probably be lost to history because none of his fights will be that entertaining but he at least will be in the history books as an interim champion yeah no you're exactly right about that you know and, and we'll see about amosov when he does have the ability to take a matchup i mean that's really the big question mark i mean everyone knows what's going on with with amosov and the, the conflict that is going on in his home country of ukraine we'll see there you, know, you got the douglas lima jason jackson matchup i mean look this potentially could set up a realistic possibility of going to that trilogy matchup between michael page and, and douglas lima at the end of the day just was not an exciting fight. When you look at the rest of this Bellator card, the one thing that does stick out to you is, man, what a brutal knockout that Fabian Edwards had against Leo Machida. Really kind of makes you wonder where, uh, what Bellator does with Leo Machida. You know, the middleweight division for Bellator is kind of interesting because, you know, you have, you know, you know, John Salter has always been kind of that top of the division. I think a John Salter Fabian Edwards matchup does make a lot of sense to me that that's a fight that that does make a, a ton of sense there of course you got uh johnny eblin going to be challenging gegard musasi for the middleweight title there but uh you know overall i mean like it, it's unfortunate that there was some other quality you know fun fights on that bellator car but because of how bad that main event was it is like it's the thing that you're going to think about when you think about bellator 281 Definitely. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's the number one talking point, especially because Scott Coker went out and criticized the scorecards. Um, you know, I I think when you do look at the rest of the main card, though, there was plenty good, right? Like, you know, for Leo to Machida, it's probably time for him to either retire or go and fight an Eagle FC. I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking with, with this fight. He just looked really old. He was okay up until he got dropped, which is, you know, for two minutes. he For two minutes, it kind of felt like he was in control. And then, boom, he got rocked, dropped. Edwards knocks him out. And then, unfortunately, I want to say 
he landed two ground strikes after Machido was already out cold. That was kind of rough to watch, but I can't really blame the referee. I want to say it was Beltran, but might not have been for 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 because it was just so fast. It was boom, boom, boom. You know, that's just how it is. But when you're 43 years old, that's probably why you shouldn't be fighting these guys like Fabian Edwards. Fabian Edwards cut a great promo after the fight. Kano Watanabe and Denise Kiyoholtz was a pretty damn good fight too, bro. Like, Kiyoholtz comes in. Look, it, we already knew what was going to happen. Kiyoholtz, obviously the better striker. Watanabe, the better grappler. Watanabe's stand-up is just not great. Kiyoholtz rocks her, puts her in trouble. What happens? Uh, she gets kind of tired. Watanabe's grappling comes into play, and she locks on that triangle choke to get the win. Kiyoholtz, Watanabe is probably the best fight of the night. And then, like, you know, Beyong and Trainer was another good one, too, that was back and forth, where I think Trainer won the first round pretty convincingly, and Beyong would win the next two. But, you know, the number two highlight, I think, would probably be Paul Daly, who I believe is calling it a career in MMA, uh, getting just one more knockout over Wendell Giacomo. Bro, come on. I don't believe you. Like, I mean, look, Daly gets dominated before he ultimately gets that knockout win, and we see the emotion. We see his, you know, his, his family in the cage with him. Like, look, it's retirement in MMA, bro. I don't believe you. I would, you know, if you if Paul Daly never fights again, now maybe it's it's in boxing, maybe it's in kickboxing, but even from an MMA aspect, I mean, when even Scott Coker is out here going, eh, I don't know. Like to me, that tell like bro, I would be shocked about. But you brought this point up to me about Paul Daly of you know Bellator promoting him as a top knockout artist and and thinking about the top knockout artists in MMA history. I just started writing down some names, and and I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll lay them out to you. This this is in no particular order: Rumble Johnson, Mark Hunt, Francis Ngannou, Derek Lewis, Conor McGregor, Fedor Emelianenko. Chuck Liddell, Vanderlei Silva, Dan Henderson, and Anderson. Did I mention Anderson Silva? No, I didn't. Anderson Silva was the other one. Yeah, you basically uh, you you nailed most of them. You nailed most of them on my list. And you know, Paul Daly deserves to be a part of that discussion because of the sheer total amount of knockouts. Like it's him and Igor Frechanchin, who have like amongst like high level mixed martial artists that have the most knockouts. Uh, he deserves to be a part of it. I mean, when you think of those guys, you know, the very first guy I think of is probably as a U.S. from in the U.S.C. The very first guy I think of is Chuck Liddell. To me, he was he was one of those guys that he, that was that was the selling point for the Iceman. He was going to put you on mm-hmm. ice and he was going to yeah. knock you out brutally. And and the great irony is he was on the receiving end of some iconic knockouts. Um, I think Vanderlei. You know, amongst the pride guys, Vanderlei probably represents the, the top knockout artist. It's like, to me, it's either, okay, so like amongst the pride guys, it's a competition of Igor, Vanderlei, um, Fedor, Rampage Jackson, and Shogun Hua. Those would be kind of the five knockout artists. And I think Vanderlei would probably be number would probably be number one amongst the pride guys. And then I would also tell you that I think, uh, one guy I always think of when it comes to knockouts. And Anderson, honestly, Anderson Silva legitimately might be the top knockout artist. He, he might be that guy when you look at all the highlights. But the guy, one of the guys he famously knocked out would also be a part of this list, in my opinion. Vitor Belfort would be uh, someone, uh, a, part of the, a part of that list, where it's like he, uh, from the get-go, the way he would blitz people. But in terms of who is the all-time greatest MMA knockout artist, I think I'm gonna go with Chuck Liddell. I think I'm gonna go with Chuck Liddell, man. I think I, I'm not. The thing is, Ngannou's up there too, but he just hasn't had the highlight reel knockouts. To me, it's either Chuck Liddell or Anderson Silva. I think I would go Anderson Silva. I think that'd be my vote. Yeah, and because okay, when I think of knockouts, I think of Anderson Silva front kicking people. You know, like that. Or even like one of the highlights I always think about Anderson Silva is you remember when he just tooled Force Griffin. When he yeah. went up to 205 pounds, like that's one of the things of, you know, we, but like there's certain things like you look at the, you know, the H bomb from Dan Anderson. Can, oh, 
what he can uh, lay out there. I mean, you mentioned about Chuck Liddell. I mean, I, unfortunately, you know, in this sport, we have recency bias and we think about the end of Chuck Liddell, but you talk about prime Chuck Liddell and what he was able to do. I mean, Con- I mean, you look at Connor. When, when we're talking about prime Connor McGregor, he lands that left hand on you. You're going to sleep. I mean, that, that's just the reality of that situation. We all knew it. When he landed that left hand, the good chances were you were going to sleep there. I mean, it, it, I mean, heavyweights. I mean, I to me, with what Rumble did in multiple weight classes, I think sticks out to me as well. Yeah, yeah. Rumble's a good Rumble's a good one, especially early on in his career. He had just some brutal knockouts. But uh, two other names that kind of flooded in my head, and I can't believe I didn't mention him, especially when I was talking about pride. Mirko Krokop. Mm-hmm. Is obviously someone we need to talk about when, with this discussion, and also, especially towards the strike force part of his career, uh, Alistair Overeem developed into this knockout artist. You know, did he get some help from, you know, Rich Strike and uh, and Sea Biscuit possibly? But Alistair Overeem, you know, I don't know. I guess he must have been doing some extra burpees, was able to knock some fools out. Uh, and then, you know, in, it, okay, when I tell you Bellator knockout artist outside of Paul Daly, who's the first name that comes to your mind? was like, this is the Bellator knockout artist. Is it like Hector Lombard? Lombard's you know? got, Lombard's gotta be one of them. Um, they haven't both, had that both many Pitbull guys. brothers. Yeah. Yeah. The Pitbull brothers is a great one for sure. I mean, Chandler had some good ones. Yeah. Chandler's Chandler's another good one for sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, one other name, in that lightweight, uh, Takanori Gomi. Okay. Outside of the UFC, just with blitzfuls, get awesome knockouts. It, it's fun to kind of go down memory lane because obviously when we have a UFC event or a Bellator event every single week, we do have that recency bias. But it's nice to take a step back and really think about over the course of the history. And I know there's going to be all these names that we kind of forgot, but – yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, Paul Daly deserves to be amongst the list of guys. You know, one of the fights I would tell you that, I mean, if you're a newer MMA fan and you've not seen Paul Daly versus Nick Diaz, go on Fight Pass. Go, I mean, I'm sure you probably go other places. I'm sure it's there as well. But find <laughs> that fight. That is an absolute amazing fight. That's one of those things, like, it would be interesting if you could get Nick and Paul in the same room together to watch that first round of their fight and just kind of hear both of those guys talk about what ha- what happened from their vantage point. Yeah, that's a great concept. I'm sure the UFC does that, right? Oh, I'm sure. Do they do they have that show on the Fight Pass where they have no. two guys watch a fight? Because that's a great idea. I, I don't think they do. You, you know, uh, who, you know who would be my episode one? No way you get these two guys in a room together. Who? John Jones and Daniel Cormier. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one, bro. Yeah, I mean, 100. percent That would be. I mean, you might have to have a security guard in between both of them. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would, I would love that one, bro. I would love. Uh, it's a good show concept for sure. I think you, I think uh, you can go. You can't go wrong with like people that really hate each other. You know, like uh, God. Let's see. You Dillashaw with any of his enemies? Put him in a put him in a room, and rewatch one of their fights. Oh no, no, no! I got it, bro. There's okay. no way this ever happened. Connor and Habib. Yeah. Yeah. I think the UFC yeah. would be scareful what Connor would say. Yeah. <laughs> it's got and that's gotta be live streamed. We can't we can't this can't be live the tape. It's gotta be live streamed because God yeah. knows what we get said. Yeah, I think I think that's a hell of a that's a hell of a suggestion. I think that that's a good that's a good suggestion for sure, man. By the way, uh speaking of uh the UFC, of course, UFC Vegas fifty four last weekend, Jan Blahovich ends up getting a third round TKO victory due to leg injury against Alexander Rakic. Uh, you know, I, I did not watch this fight live. I was uh partaking in some adult beverages watching the lightning game. And uh so I had to go back. I remember I asked them to put the fights on after the lightning game was over because when I walked to the bar there it was not one TV that had the UFC on. Every TV was on was on the Lightning game. But um, you know, one thing is, if you go back and you watch that first round, you could see the damage that Yablohovich with the leg kicks was landing on the right knee. And, and Ariel Hawani had this tweet where he mentioned about the fact of confirming uh, that uh, Rakic did tear his ACL. Uh, in his right knee, um, this is now the third time he's torn his ACL. The previous two times were 
in his other knee. Uh, you could just see where the, the leg kicks were taking damage on him. Um, you know, clearly second round was Alexander Rockets round, what he was able to do there. And, and I was I was listening to Anakin Ford in podcast, and I thought they mentioned something interesting, Daniel. Does becoming a UFC champion make you Hall of Fame? Because uh. they were kind of throwing it out there that Jan Blachowicz needs to do more to become a UFC Hall of Famer, even though he's won a title, which I thought was a... I mean, we all know the UFC Hall of Fame is where Dana White wants, but I was sitting there thinking, I was like, man, that's kind of a... That's an interesting question. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think if... I think, okay, the UFC Hall of Fame, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, the UFC Hall of Fame is not... It's not like the Baseball Hall of Fame. It's not like the Football Hall of Fame. It's not a bunch of, like, writers or whatever setting a standard and being consistent with it. It, it is at Dana White's whim. So if we pretend like the UFC Hall of Fame is like the Football Hall of Fame, I think it's hard to say Jan doesn't deserve to be in there because he had that career outside of the UFC that was pretty successful. But most importantly, inside the UFC, this is a guy who has a win, who has a cha- former champion, and has a win over Israel Adesanya. Like those two things, along with having ten plus wins in the UFC, make you a Hall of Famer because Israel Adesanya might legitimately be like the fourth or third or fifth best fighter of all time. You get that victory, that puts you in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. To go along with the light heavyweight championship, to go along with you know, being one of those guys that put Polish mixed martial arts on your back along with Mohamed Kalidov and Marius Pudzinowski for so long. I think Jan is a Hall of Famer, but it is close. He it's not like it's not like it's a sure thing, right? Because he never defended his championship. But I, I certainly think Jan is this light heavyweight division just isn't very sexy right now. I think if you had an international wing of the Hall of Fame, Jan Wilhovich makes all the sense in the world to go in there. But I thought it was an interesting question. I mean, yeah. but obviously, you know, the, the storyline heading into this fight was the fact of will the winner get a title matchup? And obviously, because of the way it injured, way that the fight ended, kind of leaves a little bit of question marks. Of course, you got Glover defending his title here next month against Yuri Chahachka, which it was interesting, the fact that Yuri is over a 2-1 to one betting favor in this one. I guess I probably should not be surprised by that one. Um, I mean, obviously, and Glover's already talked about, hey, let's run it back here. I'll give you a fight. So, I mean, it's kind of one of these things with the light heavyweight division. I feel like this is going to be the fight that ultimately does take place here um but uh you know if yuri wins i don't know where the ufc goes man if yuri wins i guess you got to put him up against ankalaev uh you know i mean i feel like ankalaev might be matched up with the loser of tashera and uh and uh and yuri and i mean i think i think that's gonna be glover but yeah i mean it's it's a tough one um this, this fight was disappointing, and it had nothing to do with the combatants. It was just bad luck. It sucks to see Rackets tear his ACL like that, dude. Because this fight would have set up as like a great momentum booster for either guy. This was an awesome fight between the the, the you know two of the top five light heavyweights in the, on, in the world. And neither guy was able to truly prove themselves was superior than the other because of a freak accident. You know, I, I didn't feel like either guy was, like, outwardly dominant up until the injury. Uh, they, they obviously, you know, Jan was cut up, and I saw that video of him super high um, that was going around Instagram when he was on some medication. So Rakish <laughs> did do some damage. I felt like Jan did as well. I, I, I didn't really have a good feel for who was going to win this fight whenever the injury took place. And it, it just... It didn't feel like a fight that crowned someone that deserved a championship opportunity, but you look uh, you look at the light heavyweight weight class, and there just isn't that many guys scrambling for it. I mean, again, outside of Jan, Anka Lyev to me has the biggest credentials, but he also doesn't necessarily feel like he deserves it, right? It's just like it, it seems like Jan is in a great position to get that opportunity because of the lack of serious challengers. This is a weight class that I believe will be in a much better position three years from now. Because you do have a lot of interesting names that are under under 38, which is kind of young for light heavyweight. But <laughs> right now, light heavyweight in the UFC is one of the least interesting weight classes that this promotion has, which is a 
you know, it, it, it's 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 a it's a strange thing to say, but I think it's absolutely true. Like like when you look at the OG five VOC divisions, lightweight to heavyweight, you can't tell me light heavyweight is is the isn't the least interesting. It's it's the fifth most interesting division amongst the OG divisions, and I will put bantamweight over over light heavyweight. Yeah. I will put featherweight over over light heavyweight. I think flyweight and light heavyweight it's a toss up. I think when you look at the women's divisions, I think. Women's strawweight is more interesting than the light heavyweight weight class. I think women's flyweight is not more interesting than light heavyweight. Women's bantamweight is not more interesting, and women's featherweight is obviously not. So I would say light heavyweight is probably the like the would rank fourth to, like fourth to the bottom of weight classes that are interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, it's the division that has struggled ever since John Jones left this division. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, before we get into Tony Kelly, I want to talk about Michael Johnson. Goes out there and gets a knockout victory. And, of course, uh, you know, right, going on my Instagram feed on Sunday, of course, a lot of it was about his comments about talking about being broke. And, you know, I saw people on Twitter kind of commenting about this, basically saying how can, you know, someone who's been in the UFC this long. And, and I think when we talk about fires financials, it's a case-by-case basis. You have no idea what's going on in that fire's life. But, one of the things it made me think of a couple of days ago, I saw this article come across Google News where it was talking about the cost of living it is in 2022 in Florida and, and how much it's risen over the past couple of years. And it kind of made me, it did make me think about the fact of if you're a fighter, specifically training down in South Florida, you're training an American top team. Sanford MMA, MMA Masters, that if you're in the UFC and you're not a main event fighter, if you 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 suffered injury and all of a sudden you're out six months, twelve months, that there may be some issues for you financially. So like when I saw the comments by Michael Johnson, it didn't affect me like it, it clearly affected other people because I looked at it and says like, man, I, I live in Florida. I see what real estate's like here. It's not cheap to live in Florida right now, bro. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I would assume the cost of living is is pretty high and. You know, and it is it is expensive, but it is startling that this dude who's been fighting in the UFC since 2010, right? For over a decade, he's been a UFC fighter. He's had 25 fights. Dude fought Habib Nurmagomedov on the UFC 205 card that had Alvarez and McGregor. It is startling that someone who spent a decade plus getting UFC paychecks is broke while still being in the UFC. And I think it says two things. Obviously we know fighter pay is not where it should be. And it also probably says some maybe about the, the, the expenses of being inactive, right? It, it's, it's, it's really difficult, especially when you have a high cost of living, maybe because of where you live, where, you know, it's expensive to live anywhere in this country right now. And in most countries, right. That's just, that's just life. Right. But, uh, and to invest in an MMA career is an expensive thing to do. And there's a plenty of other things, but it is still startling, right? Like, like I feel like most uh, athletes that spend 10 plus years at the highest level are much better off than having financial insecurity. I know we, I know there's athletes that go broke because they spend their money, not wisely, but, um, I don't know if mixed martial arts fighters have enough money to even spend not wisely. I think, one thing I want to mention here. Well, first off, congratulations to Michael Johnson for getting the win over Alan Patrick. But um, one thing I want to mention here is one of the worst things I think that happened to fighter pay has to be the Reebok deal. I mean, I feel like the Reebok deal forever changed the income a fighter can make, and fighters have not recovered since then. I, I'm glad you bring that point up because I'm watching the Bellator show on on friday and like i didn't want to tweet it to come off kind of like you know from a fire pay aspect but like you sit there you look at leota machita shorts there's barely any sponsors on it it like makes me wonder is it the fact of that reebok deal had such a massive effect on the industry that fighters just can't get the kind of advertising deals they could get pre-Reebok I mean but but also the one thing is like the thing that I laugh about the most when it comes to Dana White and when he talked when he would talk about the fact of you know he, he didn't like the walking billboard of fighters and their shorts have we not noticed what the canvas looks like in the UFC at this point is there a spot on that canvas that doesn't have an advertisement on it yeah 
Yeah, it's the name of the game. It's a bunch of BS. That was BS, walking billboard. BS. I mean, but that's what promoters do, man. They feed you BS. And why? Well, it pays their bills, right? Uh, promoters are trying to get the most money in their pockets, which is why Dana White isn't broke right now. And mixed more shorts, fighters have been dealt not the best hands um, in terms of financial income they get from fighting at the highest level. So it's important to do one of two things. One, uh, freaking unionize and, and, and get a bigger piece of the pie. That's not going to happen. Two, if you're getting screwed over by your financial income, you got to have high financial um investment in terms of like saving your money investing it in things that are going to grow your money because you aren't going to be able to fight professionally for for that for that long and if you're lucky enough to fight for 10 years you invest your paychecks into something that will grow your your money and i don't know jack about stocks i don't know jack about stocks and all that stuff but you find someone who knows what they're doing and is not going to screw you if you're a young fighter you need to take care of your money every single time you get a fight check. You need to put some of that away for when you retire. Bro, invest in real estate. I remember yeah. this was probably like, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago. I was doing an interview with James Krause and he talked about how, you know, how much he's invested his money in real estate and how him and his business partner just bought an apartment complex. I'm like sitting there going, man, that's that's a smart move. Yeah. Yeah. Fighters, fighters need to have that thought process. Because the income just isn't there. And, and and the pressure should be on the people paying the fighters. That's where the pressure should be on. But it's not there right now. And in real life situations, you have someone like Michael Johnson who is financially insecure headed leading up into this fight. You got to not you, – you, you, you messed up if you fought for 10 years and you're in that position. And there's nothing wrong with messing up. We all do. Uh, being financially secure is a very difficult thing to do. But it's important to have that conversation so the next – there are less fighters that are part of that next generation that are in a similar position. So it's brave of Michael Johnson to talk about that because maybe because he talked about his problems, there will be less people like him in the next half, you know, 25 years. I will also say this. If your manager is charging you 20%, what is that manager doing for 20%? What do you think? What do you think a, a, a reasonable rate is for a mixed martial arts manager? If you're going to advise a fighter, the number I'm hearing is more around 10% these days, mm-hmm. but I think you have to look at what does a NFL agent get? What's a NBA agent get? NFL, I believe the number is they're capped at 3%. For the union? Yeah. Look, I, I think there are managers that would be highly against the fighters ever coming together with a union or association that could potentially affect the manager's business. Isn't that isn't that screwed up? The the managers who are representing the fighters' best interests will likely be against the union because they know a union will mean they get less money. I will tell you the one thing that I am waiting for, been waiting for this for over a year is in this antitrust lawsuit of when testimony starts getting uh, released of what got said in some of these lawsuits. I think that's going to really tell us a lot uh, about the MMA business, but you know, Daniel, the other big storyline from UFC Vegas has to do with what happened in between rounds and in between the matchup between Viviana Rujo and Andrea Lee, where Andrea Lee, one of her cornermen, Tony Kelly, said, quote, they're, that's what they're going to do. These dirty effing Brazilians, they're going to be effing cheating like that. That is what Tony Kelly said. And then Tony Kelly, after this event goes on Twitter, Cancer, cancel culture is real. What I said was real. It was in the heat of the battle and in no way had any type of racist connotations meant. But if that's the way you take it, I don't give an F. So many people quick to say racist. That S getting so old, my reference was to a dirty eye poke. Daniel, on Sunday, I go on Twitter. I start to search Tony Kelly. Second thing I see, Tony Kelly racist. Yeah, it's a it's a rough look, rough look for Mr. Kelly. Um, 
I think Tony Kelly should be out of the UFC. And this is why. Look, I'm someone who is not, like, super into canceling everyone at a moment's notice, right? Don't get me wrong. But I think there's a happy medium, right? Like, canceling people is another way of saying holding people accountable for doing stupid things, right? Like, Jason, if I punch you in the – if me and you do a live show and I punch you in the face and you stop having me on the show – if I'm Tony Kelly, I'm just going to go on Twitter and say, Jason's just canceling me with this cancel culture. I didn't mean to punch him in the face. I was removing a fly from his face. What Tony Kelly is doing is living in a false reality. He's not living in real reality. What I said wasn't racist. Jason, what did he say? These dirty okay. Brazilians? Is that what he said? These F- yeah. What did he say? Exactly. What words came out of his mouth? This was the quote. That's what they're going to do. They're dirty effing Brazilians. They're going to effing cheat like that. I went back and I mentioned about, I didn't watch this live. So I watched it after the fact. I obviously, I I see the quote that, that, that he said, when I watched it, I hear hate in his voice. I, I hear hate. I don't, I don't hear someone who's in, in a passionate moment. I hear someone who clearly hates this hates Brazilians. I mean, let's just be honest about it. I've never thought of the UFC as an organization that would cancel somebody, but I could see there being pressure to where they do move on from Tony Kelly. Yeah. I mean, it's just the reason why I would, I would have Tony out of the UFC is maybe not even because of what he said. Sometimes we say things and we make a mistake, right? In the heat of a moment, we have all made that mistake. We've all said something that we regret saying to our friends, our loved ones, because we were upset or sad or whatever. We're in the middle of a fight. We're cornering the thing. What is worse than that statement is once Tony Kelly has had an opportunity to understand what he said, he doesn't understand why it was wrong and he doubled down and he does this cancel culture BS that people use as a as an armor from saying stupid things. Because Tony Kelly hasn't really understood what he did was wrong is why I think he should be out of the UFC. Because what he said, these effing uh, dirty Brazilians, was talking about a whole race of people Talk, and essentially saying that they that they cheat in this sport. This sport is something that should be a safe space for all people to practice mixed martial arts and 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 to to attempt to create a stereotype that Brazilian fighters are cheating, that they do eye pokes. No, sir, get the get that the hell out of this damn sport. Get that the hell out of this damn cage. This to, to get in a cage and to fight professionally is is something that is about respect. And you lose it all when you say a whole country of people are cheaters like that. And you aren't sorry about it. And you say the stupid cancel culture BS thing. It, it's annoying. Look, I've never talked to Tony Kelly. I don't know Tony Kelly. But based on that video and the tone he's using, if you say, Jason, do you believe Tony Kelly is a racist based on that video? I don't know how you don't say yes. And and, and as I said, I've never spoken to Tony Kelly, never been around him. To me, it's the tone. I'll say this. I mentioned this to you before the show. If you Google Tony Kelly MMA, you know what the second article that comes up is? What's that? It's a bloody elbow article. It says, quote, Lee keeps dating racists. Pro fighters react to Tony Kelly's comments at UFC Vegas 54. Yeah, it is a bad look for Andrea Lee. And that and that sucks for her because even though she lost the fight to Viviana Rajo, damn good first round. But, but you know, lost two and three uh, due to lack of, you know, controlling where the fight took place. But, yeah, it's like for her, bro, it's like, damn, it's a bad look. Like the last dude had a swastika. And this dude is saying racist stuff in in the corner. I mean, you got to feel for her, but also, like, I mean, the heck, like, is he going to, like, like, who the heck is going to come in her corner next? Like, is it going to be, like, uh, 
God, I don't even know. Uh, David Duke in her corner next. Like, what the heck, you know? And it, it, I feel for her, though, because it's not like she's the one who's saying these things. And it's got to freaking suck to go and train your ass off and, and go and fight and perform well in round one. And for this to be the conversation after you fight professionally, what somebody in your corner said, that's got to suck. Uh, it, it really does. But, um, you know, I mean, I think for sure uh, Tony Kelly should get some type of suspension from being a cornerman because he, to me, loses – should lose – he, he, to me, should face some consequence for being inside a UFC octagon and saying a racist statement. I'm not going to call him a racist because uh, I don't know him that well. I will simply say that the statement he said was racist, and that, to me, is undeniable. And for him not to come to grips with that fact is the problem. And you brought this up to me in, in a, uh, a text earlier this week, the fact of there actually is a part of the unified rules where Tony Kelly could face a suspension from the commission based on what he said. There is part of when it comes to uh, the verbiage of, of what he said, they could lace a suspension on him. Um, I doubt that happens, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Before we get into what happens uh, is coming up this weekend with UFC Vegas 55. Also, we got uh, Eagle FC. Do want to mention some of the news and notes going on in the world of mixed martial arts. Ali Adelaziz, the manager of Kamar Usman, has told uh, Brett Okamoto of ESPN that there uh, that Kamar Usman has not been medically cleared from his hand surgery, which kind of makes me Daniel more more saying anything. Leon Edwards has to be the most unluckiest fighter in all of MMA at this point. Yeah, I think Leon is is number one. I mean, going back to COVID. That would be, it's either him or a freaking, uh, he was supposed to fight Woodley. Remember, yeah. it, that was going to be the main event of the London card, which was the, the week that our, our world completely shut down. Yeah. I think he might be up there. I mean, Kevin Randleman falling and hitting himself is always going to be one of the most unlucky moments, uh, in MMA history, uh, at the UFC event, but oh, like in terms of sheer quantity of unlucky things, the only person who's more unlucky is you know, the UFC matchmaker, whenever they put a uh, pencil to paper and wrote down Tony Ferguson versus Abib Magomedov. It's about it. <laughs> and of course, Tony uh, has been doing the media storm calling for him and Habib to coach the ultimate fire, which you Habib, see, he was, he was open to get into a training camp. I did see that. That was, that was interesting. He, he mentioned about, uh, was it Jackson's syndicate? And uh, what was, was there a third one he mentioned? God, I feel like there was, but I don't, um, I, I don't, uh, I don't recall what yeah, it was. Yeah, I forget what thirteen was, but yeah, that that was interesting uh, that he did mention there. Of course, he's been doing. Well, look, we'll see what happens there with Tony Ferguson. Another thing, Daniel, I want to mention this week is uh, we saw Cain Velasquez was back in a courtroom. He was denied bail, and this should not be a surprise to anyone. And look, I understand the free Kane movement, but you know, a couple weeks ago. I had a conversation with William Frankie, a Tampa-based attorney, a.k.a. the law father, and his and he talked about the legal aspect of this and why he said that the reality is Cain Velasquez is not going to be released. I understand people who have the free Cain movement, and if you're one of those people, I just want you to listen to what I say here. You need to look at it from a legal aspect. Cain Velasquez is not getting out of jail anytime, folks. I'm sorry. I mean, I that you have to look at from the legal aspect, how many people get released on bail when they're chasing someone in a car, firing a weapon from that car. I would guess that the odds are, Daniel, it's a very, very low number of the amount of people that get released on bail. Yeah, man, it sucks, man. But when you look at the the facts of the matter. I think you listen to legal experts, Kane's in a really rough spot. And all I can say is, you know, I hope he gets a good plea deal uh, because, you know, this is a guy who there's no one who won't sympathize with him and empathize with him. And I think a lot of people want to see him outside of jail. And I would consider myself one of those people. Uh, but when you look at the justice system and you look at the facts of the matter with how he went about attempting to, you know, uh, shoot this man, it was just very reckless and innocent people were put in danger and legally it's a, I think it's a it's a tough case to make to let him out on bail so all I gotta say is I would love to see Kane out I would love to see him as a free man 
there's there's so much empathy in the world, but I, I think for him, the most likely outcome of him getting free is figuring out, well, two things, either the plea deal or going to ju- a jury trial. Uh, I mean, which is look, a high risk, which is a high risk, high I, reward. You know, you can see his attorney, Mark Aragos, he's, he's starting to paint the picture of CTE brain injury as part of the defense for this one. Um, I mean, look, I think the only, if you take this to trial, I mean, maybe the hope is I just got to convince one person on that jury to say they're not going to convict a father for what he did. Cain Velasquez went out there and did what every father said they would do. But when you look at all these gun charges, I don't know how he's going to beat these gun charges. I'm, I, this is just the reality of the situation. I understand the free came movement. I really do. But I think that when I look at how people respond to tweets, you have to look at it from the legal aspect. And that's all I'm saying. If you look at it from the legal aspect, no one should be surprised that bail was denied. Now, the person he was going after, should he be in jail? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the fact is, if you look at the facts of this case, I don't care whether you're in California, you're in Florida, Texas, Georgia, Massachusetts, Missouri, name the state. If, if I'm in that state and I'm in a car driving, I'm chasing you, Daniel, and I'm firing a weapon at you, I can't see that jurisdiction letting me out on bail. Yep. Yep, I agree with you, man. And and it's it's uh, it's freaking sucks, but I absolutely agree with you. And, and uh, you know, I, I think they're going to be kind of I, – I just find it unlikely he'll get out on bail at any point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's whenever this thing goes to trial, we'll, we'll see what happens here. Uh, the third news item I want to mention, I saw this uh, scrolling down MMA Junkie uh, earlier today. Don Davis, one of the head guys there at the PFL, he had this quote. Kayla's going to be, is go, uh, Kayla, meaning Harrison, going to move the pay-per-view in 2023. She's going to be our first pay-per-view star, which Daniel, I, I thought of that. I said, I saw the my guy Jedi Goodman post the other day that Kayla's, the card that she was headlining there on May the 6th, it averaged 140,000 viewers on ESPN. If Kayla's not fighting Chris Cyborg, how can you push massive units of pay-per-view if you're the PFL? Yeah, man. I mean, again, people have the opportunity to watch it for free on ESPN, 140,000 viewers. Does not translate to pay-per-view, right? Like, like, um, all elite wrestling. I mean, they get anywhere from 800,000 to 1.3 million viewers on TNT on a weekly basis compared to 140K. And I'm pretty sure all elite wrestling gets around 100,000 pay-per-view buys for their shows. And they do uh, four shows a year. And the shows are featuring talent, you know, all across the board. Uh, Kayla Harrison on pay-per-view finding anyone not named Chris Cyborg will not draw well in my opinion because people aren't watching her fight now for free you know kayla harrison obviously in the uc will draw well but not against anybody not named cyborg outside of the uc yeah to me if you're pfl the whole business plan around kayla has to be signing chris cyborg but what happens if you can't sign chris cyborg and because you have to imagine pfl is going to put on a pay-per-view that's probably Cheap price point, probably twenty nine ninety nine from a cheap mm-hmm. aspect. I can't, yeah. I can't see it being lower than that. It's probably more like thirty nine ninety nine, nine 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 nine, or thirty nine ninety nine, or forty nine ninety nine. Uh, kudos to my guy Nolan King over there, MMA Junkie, reporting that uh, PFL fires have basically been told, "Hey, get your passports ready," because it looks <laughs> like the PFL championships may be taking place outside of the United States, which tells me. There's someone that wants to pay the PFL to bring their championships to their location. That's just what it tells me. But so I, I mean, Saudi, look, the United Arab Emirates or Saudi Arabia or one of these countries. I've heard some things. Yeah, I'm just not at liberty to say. Yeah, well, <laughs> I've I, heard I did, some things. I did see Jack Nicholas took uh, turned down a hundred million dollars from uh, was it Saudi Arabia. Wow, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, did, well, I, well, did I see something like? Uh, is there like a PGA tour event that's supposed to place take place in um, somewhere over there? Maybe it's in Dubai, and they're having um, uh, golfers not wanting to take uh, the money to come play that tournament. Was yeah. Jack Nicholas was one of them, wasn't he? Yes, yeah, as Jack Nicholas says, Saudis offered him over a hundred million dollars to head a series, 
but uh, he, he said no. Wow, that's that, that that's absolutely crazy. I mean, look at the end of the day, I want to see the PFL succeed because the PFL succeeding means it gives fighters better opportunities to make more money, and, and so I hope I hope they do succeed there. Of course, uh, we mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show, UFC Vegas fifty five goes down on Saturday, headlined by Holly Holm and Kaylin Vieira. Co main event: Santiago Ponzinibbio taking on Michelle Pahea. That'd be my main event of the card. I'm just saying, like you know, if, if I'm a uh, if I'm home on a, on Saturday night, uh, that's the reason. Reason I, I want to watch this card is that when you know Chidi Injikwani, Jesko Dorovich. I mean, look, there's a reason they call Chidi Injikwani Bang Bang. But uh, you mentioned earlier on the show, if Dusko is going to win this matchup, is clinching, probably getting the matchup uh, to the mat uh, in this one. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, look, it's on paper, it's it's not an exciting card, Daniel. I mean, let's just call it what it is. It's not this card. You're oh my god. Um, but this, you know, sometimes it's one of these UFC fight cards. You say, hey, maybe maybe it goes out. Maybe it does deliver there. Um, you know, like as I look at this card, top to bottom, I look at someone like a Chase Hooper. We all know his submission abilities, Daniel. Young kid, still only 22 years old, so still a ton of time for him to to develop here. Take it on Felipe Calares. I mean, the question really is, we haven't seen Chase Hooper in a while now. What does that striking game look like? Because we've seen that striking game before. It's not good. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think Chase Hooper's fight might be the third most interesting fight on this card. And uh, because it's like, damn, this kid had a lot of hype. And I think it's because he was just such a a great personality to go along with this phenomenal grappling. You know, he got the old MA hour push. Uh, you know, there's value to go down the MA hour. You don't have to charge Ariel to get interviewed. You get some value out of it, Patty Pimblet. But, uh, you know, uh, Chase Hooper just buried on this prelim card. Shocking. But uh, it will, that's a fight I'm going to have Sharpie. Like, I'm going to, well, I'm going to watch all these fights, but like, I, I'm excited for Hooper Kolaris. And, uh, Look, I think UFC is putting Hooper in a position to kind of slowly, he's 22 years old, slowly upgrade his game. But amongst the preliminary card, it's absolutely the most interesting fight. Like a fighter who's in a similar position to Hooper um, in terms of great potential, young in her career, Tabitha Ritchie. Tabitha Ritchie, Poliana Viana is a solid woman's starweight fight uh, that I'm looking forward to. Ritchie has a lot of potential. Yeah, that that's a fight that I actually like Paul Vion the win. I think her, her yeah. reach advantage that she has in that one. I mean, like, look, there's there's matchups I can look at on this card, Daniel, and say, okay, that fight interests me. I look Jonathan Martinez, Vince Morales is a fight that's interests me. You look at Vince Morales since he moved his training to Syndicate MMA there in Las Vegas, you've seen a noticeable, you know, changes in his game. Of course, he's taking out Jonathan Martinez. Jonathan Martinez is very close friends with Chris Gutierrez. We saw how Chris Gutierrez was able to use leg kicks against Vince Morales to go out there and get the victory. That's a fight uh, that, that sticks out to me. I'm always going to be interested in a guy in Eric Anner just because of um, you know the longtime history I have with him and interviewing him. Also, uh, Joseph Holmes, uh, second UFC fight. I mean, obviously his UFC debut was, uh, was an awful one there against Jamie Pickett. Uh, you know, and, and other, th- other than that, I mean, Injikwani to me is is always a fun guy to watch. But to me, the co-main event is ultimately the, the fight that's drawing me to it. I mean, Michelle Pahea, he's just fun to watch. Um, you know, and, and obviously Santiago Ponzinibbio, he's been through some up and downs o- over the past couple of years. But, uh, you know, I expect Holly Holm to win uh, in the main event. I'm guessing she's probably going to win by decision here. But, uh, you know, overall, you know, the, the pre-fight hype is not high for me for this one. Yeah, just uh, not not a great card. Uh, home Vieira, you know, it's a fun little bantamweight fight. I think Holly does win, uh, possibly, you know, on the trek towards getting herself uh, another shot at a championship. I mean, for Holly Home, I mean, you know, uh, you look at that bantamweight division. She she could absolutely beat Juliana Pena. She's able to get a championship opportunity. So Holly Home could, in fact find herself regaining the UFC Women's Bantamweight Championship in order to do so. She's got to get past Ketlin Vieira, who was a tough task for uh, Misha Tate last time out. But I, I think Holly will, will be successful. But, yes, the reason why you want to watch this lame duck card is because of the coming event. Santiago Ponzinibbio, Michelle Pereira, that's going to be bananas. Michelle Pereira is one of the most memorable fighters on the UFC mm-hmm. roster. Anyone who watches him fight won't forget him. And oh, Ponzinibbio yeah, no is someone who is willing to do the dance that damn striking dance. So uh, I'm excited for Pereira and Ponsonibio. You know, one thing about this weekend, and to me, it's pretty amazing how much publicity 
that Habib Nurmagomedov has been able to get for Eagle FC. Like, I was on the ESPN MMA calendar. They list Eagle FC on their calendar of, of MMA events, which I thought was kind of noble. I mean, they put KSW events. They put Cage Warriors events. I want to say they put LFA events up there. Um, you know, and obviously Eagle FC has done a tremendous job of acquiring talent, notable talent that are potentially going to get someone like myself, you, someone listening to this podcast to be able to watch it in there. You know, JDS, Jordan DeCastro, um, you know, Jorgen's actually getting, getting a ton of interviews leading up to this one. Of course, we all know JDS. He mentioned about Hector Lombard, Tiago Silva. Like we joked about earlier, this fight could have been taking place in 2007, I believe you. You know, it's yeah. 2022 in, in this fight. But I mean, like you look up and down this card and it's just names that you will recognize. Maki Potolo, uh, Andre, uh, Andrew Sanchez, Islam Maidov, uh, of course, a uh, Bellator fighter. Honey Marks is on this card. Sean Soriano. Uh, Dylan Mantello is someone that I'm aware of. He uh, trains out of... Um, the Sarah Longo gym there, but I mean, it, it's a fight card that like, Hey, it's, it's a uh, free. I mean, well, I guess you just got to turn over your email address to uh, this, this platform that uh, is showing up. But uh, it, you know, if you're looking for some free MMA on Friday night, I mean, it's a solid, it's a solid fight card. Yeah. I'll probably get this to watch. And if there's anything interesting that happens, we'll probably talk about it next week. Uh, damn dude. I did not know that. Do you know what the name was of Eagle fighting championship before Hibby bought it? Oh, you're going to tell me I'm going to remember it. I didn't know. I didn't know. I just looked at Wikipedia. And according to Wikipedia, this is according to Wikipedia. This might not be true, which is, you know, Wikipedia is my source, but they, they led me astray. But apparently when Khabib bought this promotion for $1 million, it was called Gorilla Fighting Championship. That sounds familiar. That is that is something that is strange to me. That is a that is a problematic name. Uh, but uh, I will say this much better. I've had conversations with people in the MMA industry, and I think the probably the most popular uh, topic that comes up when Eagle FC is, how the hell are they making money? It's an investment, buddy. It's an investment property. I don't know. I don't know how they make money. Yeah, I mean, yeah. most combat sports properties don't. It's a, it's a sinking ship, but it's a, it's a fun ship to run. That's why people put it on, because it's fun to promote this stuff and whatnot. But, I mean, you see a lot of these mixed martial arts promotions where – people's little pet projects i mean doesn't i mean every, every other damn gym in this in this country has a damn MMA promotion just yeah. a way to get their guys fights but this is a little different it, it, it this does feel like a well-run organization i don't know who's pulling the strings and is making sure these things happen this media coverage happens etc who's laying out the plan but there is someone or maybe multiple people that are doing a damn good job of making eagle fc matter in the MMA landscape which is a difficult uh, thing to do. Here is my speculation on that. That the people behind it who run a management agency are using their contacts to say, hey, you want this UFC fighter? Well, then you got to interview these eight Eagle FC fighters. That's just that. That's my perception. I may be wrong. Or I may be right, but I that my 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 thought is that it's probably Ali Abdelaziz using his 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 power as being a power manager in the sport to be able to get because I, I believe Ali is actually the matchmaker. Okay, well, hey, does a good job with this promotion, I must say. You know, but I, how how the hell they make money? You got me. I have no idea. Yeah, yeah I've got no idea either. Yeah, absolutely no idea. But, I mean, uh, look, if I'm home on a Friday night, I might check it out. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give this show a watch, at least the main event and the co-main event. and you know. But, by the yeah. way, um, I have now watched all the first three episodes of The Ultimate Fighter. Breaking news. I've watched all three episodes so far. I heard I have seen still only 20 minutes of episode one. I'm behind. Maybe I'll binge watch it this weekend. I heard that Muhammad Usman had a – it was in the last episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Muhammad was the last was uh, that was episode three. So the other the other morning. So this would have been yesterday morning. Yesterday morning, I just couldn't sleep, so I was up at like four a.m. Mm -hmm. And so I watched episode two and I watched episode three. Um, episode two was uh, Muhammad's uh, Usman's fight, um, and then it kind of and, and then it teases what episode four is about is about a fighter who has to cut twenty eight and a half pounds to make weight. Jesus Christ. And it's, not a heavy, and it's not a heavyweight. It's one of the women fighters? Yeah. 
what 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 is the weight? Isn't it the weight at one twenty five? Yeah, one twenty five. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah that's, it's, uh, that's that's insane. I, look look here is here's the best way I would describe the Ultimate Fighter. Same old Ultimate Fighter. I mean, like it, it's it, it, it's the same old Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, it's the same reality show we have seen for thirty years. It hasn't changed. Yeah. You know, you, you get the, the first, you know, it, it, it's like if you're watching Law and Order, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, the first 30 minutes is about them arresting somebody and the last 30 minutes is the trial. And that's basically the ultimate fighter. The first 30 minutes is just training footage, setting you up for the, the fight that's going to be on that episode. And then last 30 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever, maybe how long the fight goes is that fight. I mean, it's just there. There really hasn't been the quote unquote reality show antics yet. So I'm guessing that's coming. Yeah. That's got to be coming once more and more fires are, have been eliminated and then they start partaking in uh, some adult beverages. Yeah, that's uh, that's usually the sweet spot. But, I mean, look, they're just pumping out content. Like, don't they have a show in Asia that's coming out? I know Laura Senko said she's going to do commentary for it. It's some type of some type of show in Asia. But uh, I, I haven't seen that. I know they just they just announced uh, the next season see. of Dana White's Contender Series is, is hey. going to be starting here in the next uh, what's it June in June in July somewhere around there. God, I because I was listening to to Laura Senko. She did an interview on uh, okay. Huh. She did an interview uh, with a uh, Renee Parkett or I, I, I get her name wrong, but she talked about that she was doing some type of show. Uh, but maybe she just kind of let it out of the bag before the, in, the initial uh, announcement because kind of when I Google it, I don't see it. But the way it was described was some type of like reality show, mm. but in in Asia. But I believe she was going to do commentary on it. So I'm not really sure when and where that's going to get released or what the plan is. But yeah, even when I do like a cursory Google, I don't see it. So I mean, we'll I, I would I would imagine that's probably something to maybe the, to develop the talent pool coming oh, out of I Asia. I found it. UFC launches road to UFC. That's a win in advanced tournament. We'll take top MA prospects from Asia and give them a pathway to a UFC contract. The opening round will be two days, June 9th and June 10th before UFC 275. So there you go. Yeah. Cause that's in uh, Singapore. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to figure out, uh, I think it's going to be available on Fight Pass, but I'm not sure if it's going to be available in America on Fight Pass. Probably will. So yeah, yeah you would th- you would think product. so. Yeah, you would you would imagine yeah. so. You would imagine so, so. Yeah, probably not something we'll be talking about, but you know, there's that. Yeah, you never you never know what might come up on the on this podcast. You never know. Yeah. Of course, as always, appreciate everyone taking time out of their day to download and listen to this episode of the podcast. Of course, if you're listening to us on one of the podcasting platforms, if you could hit that rating and review. Really does appreciate it. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that thumbs up button. Uh, subscribe. Hit that notification bell. Hit that thumbs up button. really helps out that YouTube algorithm. So I really would appreciate that. So that's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast, which comes out every Wednesday on your favorite podcasting platform and on the MMA Report YouTube channel. <laughs>